Hey there, and welcome to Media, the podcast where we talk about VCU media and media education in general. My name is Brett Lamb, and today we're talking about Australian stories. The Australian film industry is an important part of our national identity, and it's important as a nation that we see our lives and our stories represented on the big screen. Today, we're going to celebrate Australian stories by taking a look at The Merger, a film about a small-town footy team that recruits local refugees to survive. Today, we're joined by five intrepid media nerds keen to share their thoughts on this recent Aussie film. Big welcome to Ash, Sadaf, Lynette, Jasper, and Harris. Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming along. Thanks for having us. Cheers, boss. Anytime. Okay, so to start the ball rolling today, um, actually, Ash, can you tell us a little bit about the storyline of the film? Um, And yeah, what happens in this movie? So basically, the storyline follows um, the small town of... Bodgy Creek, I reckon. It follows the small town of Bodgy Creek and their dying football scene. Basically, they don't have enough players and they refuse to... Initially, they refuse to let the um, refugees play. And since they don't have enough players, it's going to end up getting shut down or, as the title suggests, merged with the next con- with the next town's team. Okay. Basically, um, to avoid this, uh, they end up getting the town reject, Troy Carrington. He's a reject because uh, he shut down the local mill or stopped it from going on because it was an environmental thing. And his mother was a big environmentalist. So the town hates him. But he was also a really good football player back in the day before he broke his leg in nine different places. So he ends up getting the team back together, recruiting the refugees, and kind of bringing the town together. At its core, uh, the story of the merger is a story about people coming together and you know accepting their differences and embracing them. Awesome. Thank you so much. Can I ask, uh, what did you think of the film? Did you enjoy it? At first, I was a bit skeptical of whether I would enjoy it or not, because I'm not much of a sports person and I haven't had a notoriously, I haven't had a very good run with Australian films, but honestly, it was a really good story and it had some really gripping parts. I I was honestly, I enjoyed it a lot. Okay. I I think it's quite a sweet film. It's quite an endearing uh, and eccentric little film. And uh, I'm glad, I'm glad you liked it because uh, when I showed the trailer to the class, uh, I think there was a collective eye roll when they saw the YouTube title, which was like AFL football comedy, and everyone thought that would be awful. What did others think? What did you think about the story? Did you enjoy it generally? Yeah, it was pretty good, honestly. Like It was more of like a that little family-like comedy, and honestly, it did it pretty well with all the characters merging together. I thought, you know, it's pretty decent, pretty loving film. I think it lived up to its title as well as the comedy aspect. There were many funny scenes in there, whether appropriate or not is another discussion. But um, yeah, I have to say it was really sweet. Yeah, I, I went into the film not knowing what to expect. Like you hear AFL comedy and you think, oh, what's it going to be about? But it, it did have a good meaning behind it. And I think if you keep that in mind while you're watching it, it just really embraces the rest of the film. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I, I definitely don't see it as an AFL comedy. I see it as an underdog sport movie. And for someone who despises all team sport, you know, every single team sport that's ever existed, can't throw or can't hit. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, I actually really love underdog sports films. So films like Mystery Alaska and uh, Every Given Sunday, I don't understand gridiron or hockey but I enjoy those films because it's it's about a team coming together and triumphing against uh, kind of all odds. So, you know, I like it. It's it it is. It's sweet. It's endearing. What do you reckon, Sada? It was okay for me. Um, I really liked the refugee part of it because I could relate to it, and it was just like really sweet. 
Yeah, that's 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 the ultimately the heart of the movie. And I don't know if I'm a bit I'm a bit uh, slow when it came to this movie, but uh, everyone on the panel has mentioned it so far. I think it's kind of a metaphor for multi multiculturalism. That idea of a merger of all of these different cultures coming together. Um, so I, I don't. I think that metaphor was initially lost on me. <laughs> that extra layer to the film. But yeah, it's nice. It's sweet. I like the premise and. Without giving too much away, because there's going to be spoilers in this episode, there's going to be total spoilers for this film, um, without giving too much away, uh, I did like the end as well. You know, they triumph, ah, gave it away. But, you know, so many Australian films in the last couple of decades are films about failure, and I don't, don't want to see any more of those. You know, miserable films about failure, and this has a very happy ending to it, and I, I did appreciate that a lot. Okay, so now we're going to go to Sadaf. Uh, who's found out a little bit about the production of this film. So I guess making an Aussie film isn't always easy. Um, can you? Did you find out a bit about the film's production? Well, there wasn't much that I could research because it's pretty new, pretty recent, and it's an Australian film, so no one really talks about it. But it was filmed in Wagga Wagga. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. You did pronounce that yep. pretty, pretty well. It's in New South Wales and... It was released on 30th of August, 2018. I actually watched this interview um, by, well, it? it was an interview for Mark Grantel, okay. the director. And he was talking about how he chose the cast to balance it. Like some people were more comedic, some people were more practical, and he just chose it so it would work. And you could really see that in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought the cast in this film, like that that ensemble with all of those different characters, uh, was it was a really nice balance. And there are some really awesome Aussie actors uh, and comedians in this film who have uh, quite small parts that I enjoyed as well. Um, so apparently the the film is based on Damien Kellanan, who played Troy in the film, the main character. It's based on his one man uh, comedy show. Um, you know, that basically tells this story. He's like the only dude on stage. I think that's crazy and amazing. And I actually kind of want to see it as well. I don't know. Yeah, anyway, good. It, does, it does sound kind of interesting. I have one more fact. Um, they did actually take AFL lessons. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like okay. someone big, I forgot his name, but someone Some big. Footballer. Yeah. They came and they taught them how to play. Okay. Or taught them how not to play, yeah. which is a, fa a fair por portion of the film. Now, as part of today's episode, we are actually going to go to some past uh, media legends from East Doncaster Secondary College. So we're about to hear uh, a little segment uh, from Nicole, who made uh, a little podcast segment about uh, a film called Last Cab to Darwin. I'm on my way to Darwin. Yeah. You're going all the way, eh? All right, brother boy. That's a fair drive. All the way to Darwin. Last Cab to Darwin is an Australian film directed by Jeremy Sims. It follows Rex, a terminally ill driver on the last cab to Darwin, where he hopes to be euthanised. I'm a cab driver, Doc. That's what I am. So I'm going to drive my cab until I can't drive it anymore. And that's it. On his journey, Rex is accompanied by an indigenous drifter and a backpacking nurse who are struggling with their own problems. The film is based on the true story of Max Bell, who drove 3,000 kilometres from Broken Hill, New South Wales, to Darwin in 1996. Unlike Rex, Max was refused euthanasia and reluctantly headed back home where he died slowly in hospital. 
Last Captain Darwin opens in the small town of Broken Hill. Rex has a close relationship with his Aboriginal neighbour Polly. Because of racial tensions, they are unable to have a public relationship. Rex! Morning, Paul. You! You've been dumping your rubbish in my bin! I don't want your rubbish, mate! You keep it in your own bin, and if you don't have no room in your own bin, you keep it in your fucking house! I'm not the bloody tip! After discovering he has cancer, Rex decides to drive his cab across the country to Darwin, where he would be able to undergo euthanasia. Well, you'd need to speak first with your family. I haven't got any. I think the doctor means those closest to you, Rex. There's no one else. Along the way, he meets an Aboriginal drifter, Tilly. Tilly encounters his own issues with his dysfunctional family and dreams to be a footy player. Ah, oh, fuck it! Mother, father, dog! Rex is also joined by a backpacking nurse, Julie. Like most Australian films, each of the characters start out in lonely, small outback towns searching for purpose. Sims throws in a bunch of sunsets that really set the mood for each character's storylines. They go through the ups and downs, hitting several speed bumps on their way to Darwin. What the fuck is that? Cantoid. Fat, ugly bastard. The film touches on issues like suicide, addiction, lack of purpose, interracial relationships, and more. Last Captain Darwin shows the development of these characters as they search for a future. If wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Dad used to say that. My favourite scene is when Tilly escapes a life of drug addiction after being inspired by Rex, who gave him a pair of footy boots. A fun long shot shows Tilly running out to the field to a cheering crowd. We also see his wife sitting in the crowd. The long shot ends as Tilly joins his team in a group huddle before the game. Amid the suicide and addiction, it's nice that this film has moments of hope. Along with most of Sim's other films, Last Captain Darwin is a drama romance film. It was released in 2015 to positive reviews from audiences. The setting is pretty stereotypical for an Aussie film, and when it comes down to it, it's basically two hours of people in a car getting sad and working through their problems. What are you doing me a favour? Just drive on, man. Ultimately, Last Captain Darwin is a film of inspiring stories, truly human struggles, and a lot of sunsets. There goes the sun. Thank you so much to Nicole for recording that uh, wonderful little segment uh, about Last Cab to Darwin. Uh, in this episode of Media, we're talking about the Aussie film, The Merger. And we've got Jasper here to uh, talk about uh, some of the characters in the film and what he thought about them, because I think the characters are at the heart of this movie. Uh, they're, they're funny, they're eccentric, uh, they're entertaining. Uh, who did you like? Look, honestly, my favourite character, Neil. Okay. So, the, the kid. The, yeah. The, yeah. With the kid, we start off with this little fella and stuff called Neil, and he's basically making a little documentary about basically like what's happening to the footy club. And through the eyes of this little kid, you get some of that cheekiness and also that that innocence that you get with children and stuff. 
it's really great, honestly, like defining like all the other characters, such as the homie Troy. And what Troy does is he's basically a reject of the whole town and stuff. So what happens is he's got two driving forces with him. So he's got the refugees with Saeed. Saeed's this other refugee who's come from the country of... He came from Syria, right? From Syria, there's, that's There's it. that wonderful moment in the film where um, I want to say it's Gooba and Snapper. And Snapper's like, where's Syria? And, you know, uh, Gooba's trying to explain it to him. He just doesn't get it. With the with the two clashes of characters and stuff, so you got Saeed, who's pretty much he's the epitome of the refugees, and then you have the oldies such as the homie Bull. Now, Bull is the grandfather of um, Neil, the child, and what happens is Bull is very against bringing in any foreigners or any refugees into the club, so he's back with the old ways, and basically you get a two clash with them sides and stuff, and throughout the story you see the solutions they get to and how each of the characters guess develop their relationships and try to accept each other's differences and ways and how that really brings in the club together as a team i really like the way you talk about character development there because i think uh you know in a lot of films you can get very stereotypical characters and what i like about this one is the fact that quite a few of these characters are quite well-rounded uh so bull for example you know he he hates greenies he doesn't like refugees uh he doesn't want them in his town uh he doesn't want the football club to uh you know uh, be coached by Troy, you know, and you see his journey um, throughout the film and he does develop and he does change. Um, one of the the scenes that I thought was really nice uh, with Bull, who's, um, who's played by uh, a really great Australian actor called uh, John Howard, not the former prime minister, uh, just the actor John Howard. Um, there's that great scene where he goes to uh, Neil's school uh, to sort of explain what he does. Uh, it's sort of, you know, bring your dad day, but um, Neil's dad, has died uh and there's that moment where he's talking about you know how much he misses his son in front of this uh group of primary school kids and then Saeed's sort of talking about his experience uh and that's the thing that unites a lot of the characters as well you know all of these characters in some way or another have experienced some kind of loss um so whether it's uh you know uh, Bull's son uh Neil's dad um Troy lost his mother um, and Saeed uh, loses his brother. Oops, another spoiler. Whoops. Um, but, you know, all of these characters kind of realize that um, they might have very different backgrounds, but ultimately um, they're all just people. Um, and I, I thought that was really nice. Uh, who else did you like? Because I've got some thoughts about some of the, the ensemble. Look, I might get hate from this, but Ooh. the young guy Carpet Burn, so he's he's seen <laughs> yeah, more of a you yeah. know antagonist in the film and stuff. He's not very accepting at all of Seed and other refugees. But I found him, especially at the end, I felt like he developed the most and stuff because he originally had clashes with some of the other um, original football players. These aren't refugees, but they also have their differences compared to him. And the way he goes about it is obviously not very nice at all. But the way he de- his character develops throughout the film. And Does, particularly, doesn't, doesn't he like get booted off the team though? He does though. Yeah, but at the end, when you see him cheering on, oh, yeah, say, okay. how he yeah, swaps yeah. with okay. the other name, is it Gubo or Snapper? Or <laughs> we'll go with one uh, of them. So Snapper was, um, yeah, was put on the team and Carpet Boom was taken off. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, at the end, you've got Carpet Burn over here cheering on Snapper. For his final goal and stuff. Oh, so yeah, yeah, I forgot about that bit. I just then you pretty it. much get yeah. his solution and his acceptance of, you know, the young yeah, homie. Fair, fair, 
fair? Because I was I was thinking that um, you know he he doesn't have that little moment of redemption. I'd forgotten about that bit. But yeah, uh, can we also address the names of these characters? By the way, yeah, th- go on. All right, so All we've right. got. <laughs> okay, you've got a list of them. Then I'm in. I got IMDb open. All right, Listen okay. So um, you've mentioned Bull. Yes, Bull. Actual name is Gabriel. This is one of the things because we're going to talk about what makes this a great Australian story. I think Australia's propensity for giving people dumb nicknames uh, is something that we should be very proud of. So, Gabriel, obviously, we're going to call him Bull. Of course. Yeah. So, we've got the young homie Bill. I meant Bull. Apologies. Oh, yeah, no. Bull. Apology accepted. Bull. That's the grandfather. And then he's got his grandson, Neil. Then you've got the mother of um, Neil, which is Angie. Yep. They're no all the Barlows. No the nickname there. Can we, can we have good some nicknames? Angie. Some nicknames. So, we've got Goober, Snapper, Carpetburn, Harpo. Okay. But there's also Porterhouse. Porterhouse. Yeah. Sure. Well done. Yes. Oh, come on. That's okay. So I was, I was paying great attention to these nicknames in the film. Uh, in addition to the ones that you've mentioned, there is also Wheat Bix is mentioned at one point. Uh, Ponko, uh, School Shoes, Boof, Measles, and Tolstoy. I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, I think those. Nicknames are absolutely amazing. What did you other guys think of uh, the characters? With any favorites? I just wanted to go back to Carpet Burn again because I mean, he arguably was the antagonist or the most antagonistic oh, totally. character within yep. the team. But I really did like his reden- his redemption arc because it felt incredibly realistic in the sense that it wasn't this big realization that oh, they're people too. But it was kind of this slow thing. He wasn't very. He didn't come out and say it. There was no big reveal. It was just. Over time, he gradually became more and more accepting. And I don't know, I just, I kind of like that portrayal of the redemption arc because, I mean, having them do a complete 180 where they're so on board with it, that's always good. But then again, that's not always very realistic or how a lot of people actually do end up changing their opinions about these types of things. Yeah, um, I really like that take. And uh, because there were a few people in the class who mentioned that Bull's kind of change was a little bit abrupt or maybe uh, perhaps a little bit sudden. But you're right with the character of Carpetburn. He does he does come around in a in a very low-key way that is perhaps a little bit more realistic. And, hey, maybe there's hope. Maybe there is hope there. What, what about uh, other characters? Um, I also want to talk about Angie. I like oh, yeah. Angie as a character and the fact that in a way she was technically, she's walking that very fine line between foreigner and local because, yeah, she was married to um, Bull's son, Brett. However, you know, he died and she doesn't really have much of a tie to the town except her par- her in-laws and her son. Um, one thing that did kind of nag me about her character was the entire relationship with Troy. I <laughs> yep. Listen, he was cool and all, but I feel like it would have worked better as more of a friendship you know, because the romance, it was not needed. It didn't feel yeah. necessary. It really could have just been, you know, two buddies, two friends hanging out. It, it did seem a little bit forced. I don't it know. Did. It did. Seemed, it did seem a little bit tacked on. Um, speaking of Angie, there's a nice moment um, in the film where she's watching Neil interview Troy. Uh, this happens much later in the film. And uh, they're both talking about, you know, Neil's talking about he, how he copes with the, the death of his dad and um, Troy's talking about the loss of his mum and she's watching that. I just thought that was a really nice, very affecting uh, kind of scene. Yeah. Other characters? Yeah, and on that note too, um, my favourite character is Neil uh, because he brings a lot of humour to the film and he kind of settles down some of the drama in the actual film b- because of his in- 
innocence and it kind of shows through as well that when he was making the comedy or sorry the documentary about Troy uh his innocence about that and him just trying to live on to the best of his ability after later finding out that his dad was gone and so he kind of lightens the world around him from that experience instead of like always the typical hollowing in his sorrow so i feel like just his courage and his ability to move on gives a great impression on Troy himself with the incident that happened that named him town killer so yeah no i i find it interesting that you guys all like neil <laughs> what about what about others what do you think of the characters any favorites there sorry i'm going to continue the trend with neil so maybe someone else no no continue the right, trend with okay. neil why do you like neil harris i think i think he just brings such a great positive character and just lightens the whole mood of the film um i mean he spends most of the film in a chicken suit oh yeah there is that yeah. <laughs> um, so so i think he's a really great character in that sense so he just makes the film more humorous and lightens it up um from the few more depressing side of um yeah the more depressing yeah the side racism of the film. Yeah. Yeah, the depressing, depressing racism. Yeah. I, I did want to mention um, a couple of characters that I really liked because I <laughs> I really liked Goober. I think Nick Cody is hilarious and he, he gets some <laughs> great lines in there. Like he's standing at the bar talking about how, you know, uh, budgerigars kind of, it's like having a pet that poops ice magic. I just thought that line was hilarious. He gets these absolute clangers throughout the film and um, – a really one of the characters I really liked was Harpo, the the artist and Shakespeare quoting guy, uh, played by Ben Knight, uh, who had, had some wonderful moments uh, in there as well. Uh, so I really like those. And if there's a character that I think is uh, a little bit underdone, and I'm not going to say, uh, say Porterhouse, although that would be an amazing pun, uh, it's Gretchen, played by the amazing Michelle uh, Brazier, who is a really funny comedian. And apart from being described as the angriest hippie ever in this film, uh, yeah, she, she doesn't get much of a role in there, which is disappointing because she's absolutely hilarious uh, and wonderful. I feel like a lot of the time, some of the minor characters in this film could have been like given more of a chance to show themselves because I feel like towards the end, especially when they get together as a team, the people that are supporting them don't really have much of a role. And because of that, I feel like it kind of lessens the moral of the film. All right. Now, just going to Harris, what were your favourite scenes in the movie? My favourite um, scene in the film was probably the opening scene. The reason I found that my favourite was because it just really lightened the film's tone. Um, yeah, so we like go from knowing nothing about the movie to going straight into it and then finding out that Neil's going to play a funny character and he just opens it up doing the documentary, making fun of Troy. Um, and I feel like that's really funny and it just really did a good job of opening the film and showing us what it's going to be about for the rest of it. Um, so your, your favourite was the opening opening scene, yes. you reckon? Okay, what about others' favourite scenes from the film? That's. I feel like that's a bit of a hard one. I had a lot of favourite oh, scenes. Yeah, I've got a theory about this. Go. I mean, I think most of my favourite scenes tended to centre around the team and the relationships. I'm a sucker for found family tropes in movies. So um, a lot of the scenes when they were like in the tents and they were singing the club song, I really loved those because it, it really showed how connected they were. As well as um, 
uh, towards the end when they all learned about their um their uh, the uh, opposite team and all the fun facts and just talking to them. I loved that because I don't know, I just I yeah, like when people come together and are friendly with each other. I just think it's sweet. Yeah, the found I, I like that that trope, the found family trope. That's a really good observation about this film. Other scenes that you guys liked. Um, this one doesn't have an explanation. When he was writing <laughs> Light G on the board and he misspelt it. Yeah, uh, that's an know. ongoing joke in yeah. the film as well. I like those little callbacks. It's like, um, to me, there's some great moments in this film and the recurring joke where they're in the town hall having the meetings and the, the Morris dancers and the historical recreationists keep knocking on the door um, because they've got the hall booked and stuff like that. There's some really nice stuff in here. And I was going back through the film and I couldn't, uh, there were a couple of scenes that I really liked and thought were terrific, but some of those one-liners I thought were exceptional. Um, so there's that moment early in the film where Neil's making his little documentary and he walks up to Troy and he's like, uh, how do you respond to allegations from Crystal at Bodgy Creek Primary School that you're a flog? And he has to explain what a flog is to Troy. <laughs> so little things like that. Um, and, you know, ni nice little jokes like um, that they meet with Saeed um, and Troy asks, is that your family on the wall? Because he's got these photos. And so he says, of course it's my family on the wall. Do you think I'm a creepy man? <laughs> Hanging <laughs> so, strangers' pictures on the wall. Absolutely, yeah, no. Actually, I just want to talk about, a bit about Saeed. I really loved him. He was definitely one of my favourite characters. And I liked how cocky he was about his own football skills. Oh, yeah. Because usually um, with a lot of people, uh, people of colour in films, I tend to see them, especially if it's like about racism, they're always portrayed as like these incredibly good and pure people they can never do anything wrong they're perfect in every way but a lot of these characters actually had kind of real world flaws and yeah. i liked that i liked that they felt more like people the fact that they were refugees or immigrants wasn't the centerpiece of their entire personalities which was nice and i love that there's that line early on where saeed's talking about how he only reads afl biographies <laughs> so uh we're looking at some well-rounded uh characters there yeah, so uh, there are some wonderful lines. And the line that everyone in the class laughed at, everyone, was the bit where uh, they're in the, uh, the club tent, I guess it is, uh, and they're talking about, Troy says, what was the hardest thing you've ever had to do? And Snapper says, year 11. <laughs> everyone laughed at that. Because it's true. It's so Relatable. true. Um, and then, you know, he asks Suresh and Suresh is like, well, it's difficult to narrow it down due to the cataclysmic events of the Civil War. And then goes on and Snap is like, oh, oh, that kind of difficult. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, I like those little moments and those little interactions um, between the characters. And some very sweet moments, like when Harpo is talking about how to had to flee, um, you know, his country and why he ended up in Australia and all of those sorts of things. And when, for some inexplicable reason, they start to quote Shakespeare in that pre-game warm-up, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure maybe I missed why they were doing that, but I think it was Harpo's obsession with Shakespeare. It was part of it. I think it was, um, if I can remember correctly, it was how they would, like, trash talk the other team mm -hmm. without like, getting called mm -hmm. out for yeah, it, which is, yeah. it was, I yeah. loved it because every now and then someone would just say something Shakespearean yep. to one of the players and... Oh, I don't know. I loved it. That was really funny. Yeah. The best part was the players' reaction as well, how confused they were because it's a way that they could get back at the other players for criticizing them for being um, multicultural as well. Yeah. And so. I, I also love, you know, that final game. And as Ash was saying before, that sort of idea that when you get to know people, everyone wins. 
Um, and yeah, I just thought that was a very clever way to defeat the, <laughs> the other team. So, um, Lynette, speaking of Lynette, um, what do you think this film tells us about Australian culture? I feel like this is a very kind of heavy topic within this film because there's a lot of racism going on. But I think overall the portrayal of Australian and other cultures are kind of a bit off because I was watching this and I was also thinking about what I saw, especially coming to Australia 10 years ago compared to now. I'm not sure if this is just rural towns, but a lot of the time you don't see people going around wearing traditional clothing. There are some times, yes, that people would do that, but I wouldn't necessarily say always. I'm not sure about a lot of these things um, that are shown because there's a difference to to between um, living in more populated areas like the city compared to outer towns. But I have to say that we also have cities in Australia. It's not just outback and open lands, just to make that point clear. Um, And often we have factories, so we don't squash grapes with our feet. All right. But he was a biodynamic farmer, in all fairness. Yeah. (laughs) Understandably, you are right. The Some of the logic within the film did feel kind of off. But um, I would say for the outfits, I don't think it's that odd. Um, a lot of my uh, family the, from Kenya, right, sometimes when they go overseas, they will wear a lot of traditional garb. Usually it's more of a pride thing to be like, hey, look at us. That's just my family, though. They're a bit egotistical, but it's cute. All right, moving on. I, I think it's a very flattering portrayal of small town Australia um, and – you know, there, there. I come from a small country town in Victoria, and you know there is a fair degree of racism um, in amongst some people um, in small towns. And I like the way um, you know this film uh, basically portrays Australian culture in a way where people can look past differences uh, and and basically see each other as human beings. I think that's a really it's kind of a very sweet portrayal of small Australian towns. Uh, so I did like that. And you're right, there are other places in Australia. I just watched The Dry last night, uh, Robert Connolly's film, most recent film, uh, and that's set in a tiny uh, Victorian country town. Um, I don't know. Hey, we've got some great landscape to show off. Why don't we, why don't we use it? Anyway, um, what did others think? What, what do you think it tells us about Australian culture? I mean, Australia doesn't have a culture to begin with. Oh, very so. good observation. I mean, what I know about Australia is just multiculturalism. So, Mm. and that was in the movie. It is. Um, And, yeah, it is quite literally a merging of cultures. Hey, I I spotted the metaphor here. It's not just about footy clubs. It's about people. I have to say a lot of the time when people think of Australian cultures, they always just think of um, the hot dog stands and footies and sun hats and whatnot but i feel like there's a lot more to australian culture than just european traditions because a lot of our history has always involved other people from different places around the world so i think this film kind of helps display that in terms of how there are so many people from different places and it's not just like a european country anymore so what you're suggesting is this is almost the quintessential Australian story because it's, you know, it's about all of these cultures coming together. I mean, personally, 
I would agree that Australia doesn't have a culture, but not because, you know, there's just, there's nothing there. I feel like we're still building up our culture because we've been, in a sense, um, a continent or an island for a very short amount of time compared to others. Because, of course, there were people before, you know, col- uh, the colonists came, but they came and that real, that rule, that in a sense destroyed the former culture. So we've had to kind of rebuild from there because, you know, so we went from colonialism to the white Australia policy now to the multiculturalism that we have today. So I would argue that we're still in the midst of developing uh, a true Australian culture in the modern era. And I think the story kind of nods to a more hopeful idea of Australian culture, one where, you know, it, we come together and, you know, our differences, it doesn't matter what country you're from because you're here now, you're Australian now. And that's what matters. We're here together. We're in it together. Very well said. Thank you so much, Ash. Now we're going to hear from one of last year's VCE media legends, Sarah, who's reviewed the Aussie film Mary and Max. Chocolate hot dogs, rabbis who lay eggs and nicotine-dependent fish. Mary and Max is a saving grace in a world where our comedies lack plot and are filled with bad jokes. An endearing comedy drama, it tells the story of a chubby eight-year-old girl in Melbourne. Do you have a pet kangaroo? and an obese man in New York living with Asperger's Syndrome. It would be good if there was a fat fairy. She would be a bit like the tooth fairy, but would suck out your fat. Director Adam Elliott wanted to be known as the man who made blobby films, and after this charming stop-motion film, he sure will be. Marion Max features Australian icon Barry Humphreys as the narrator, and Philip Seymour Hoffman as Max Jerry Horowitz. It also stars an array of other Australian actors, including Tony Collette as Mary and Eric Banner as her love interest, Damien Papadopoulos. Mum says he's a wog and has a stutter. Elliot was inspired by his own pen pal of 20 years, who, like Max, also lives in New York. People are always littering in New York. Set in Mount Waverley, 1976, Mary Daisy Dinkle lives a lonely life. She's constantly bullied at school for her birthmark and weight. Birthmark? The colour of poo. At home, things aren't any better as she lives with her alcoholic mother and neglectful father. To Mary, Vera always seemed wobbly. One day at the library, Mary finds an American phone book and she randomly picks Max's address to write to. She writes a letter to him asking where babies come from. In Australia, they are found in beer glasses. In New York, Max comes home to find her letter after his weekly Overeaters Anonymous meeting. I'm sad to hear you are fat. Even though it triggers a panic attack, he soon replies back to her and tells her where babies come from in America. I asked my mother when I was four, and she said they came from eggs laid by rabbis. Their letters rally between one another for many years until one day Max is institutionalised after another panic attack. Can you explain love and how I can be loving? <laughs> Mary's left alone and in despair when he doesn't write back. Saving her money for a rainy day. A year later, Max finally finds the courage to tell her what happened, and from there on, their beautiful friendship continues. Given a budget of $8.2 million, Mary and Max grossed $1.7 million in the box office after its 2009 release. It became a critically acclaimed film after being shown at the Sundance Film Festival. For the film, Elliot created 133 separate sets, 212 puppets, and 475 miniature props, filming the entire movie in a St Kilda warehouse. The props were made from clay, wire and cardboard. The colour scheme rarely strays away from dark shades of grey and brown. She scanned the room and counted how many things were brown. 
It gives a sense of relatability where nothing is exactly perfect in the scenes. Elliot's portrayal of mental illness in the film is one which is relatable and not sugar-coated. It shows addiction, depression, anxiety and phobias in a realistic way that might strike a chord with viewers. He says my mind is not that healthy. This is such a delightful film to watch. It's filled with so much emotion, but then backs it all up with heartwarming humour. True friendship is seen through the heart, not through the eyes. Mary and Max is filled with clever jokes ingrained in the narration and stories in the letters. I was once a communist. I think that the PG rating might be a bit too generous because prostitute jokes might be a bit much for little kids. I have never used a condom. Other than that, it's truly a beautiful film that can be enjoyed by a wide audience. Yours sincerely, Mary Daisy Dinkle. Thank you so much, Sarah. Now, on today's episode of Media, we are having a chat with these uh, fantastic Year 11 media nerds about the film um, The Merger, which is about a small town footy team uh, that uh, invites some refugees to be part of it. Um, and the final question in today's episode uh, that I'd like to address is, do you think this is an important Australian story? Hmm. Anyone want to dive in and give me their two cents? I think it is an important Australian story, but I feel like it's also a very, very overdone Australian story. It, well, not necessarily Australian, but it's just a very, very overdone story. That story of the, the underdog, the team coming together. And it is an important story. However, I feel like there are more interesting and maybe more culturally relevant stories that we could be telling with our media industries. Okay. Yeah. I feel like for me, um, they were starting to develop um, where they were trying to go with the story and the morals that they wanted to show. But it kind of got like intervened with some of the uh, sub storylines that they were adding in. So I feel like they could have just stuck to this idea of building um, multiculturalism and respect and killing racism instead of like the whole subplots i think some pieces like the character of neil and angie um and their family story was relevant because it broke up the whole central part of the seriousness the depression the racism but other subparts like the i can't remember what his name was but the painter um, uh, harpo yeah harpo i feel like that wasn't as necessary to the story and if it was added into the film it could have been kind of in another film instead yeah i you know that's i think from a filmmaking perspective it's always challenging to balance an ensemble like this where you've got a whole bunch of characters i i think they did it reasonably well i mean characters like uh goober and and harpo uh were interesting enough that um you know i I enjoyed what little screen time they had. Yeah, I would like to argue with that a bit because understandably, I see what you mean that it could take away from the main plot of the story and the main themes they're trying to explore. However, I feel like that exploration into some of the more minor characters was needed because this is a story about people coming together, people learning and embracing their differences. Um, so I feel like a bit of background or you know extra added tidbits about the other characters really helped cement the story as a kind of found family thing. Hey, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Media. It was fantastic to uh, hear about your opinions on the merger. And if you haven't watched the merger, what's your problem? 
I mean, streaming services, go and watch it. Support your local film industry. Um, it is a very entertaining, um, very sincere, uh, very eccentric little film. Uh, and I actually enjoyed it uh, quite a lot. Uh, so that's it for this me- episode. If you'd like to find out more about BCE Media, head over to LessonBucket.com. Thank you so much, Sadaf, Harris, Lynette, Jasper, and Ash for joining me this episode. Bye.